Hello, everybody. You're listening to Amplify the Arts, a place for artists and art lovers of all kinds to gather, hear stories, and be inspired to amplify the arts in their own lives. I'm Sarah Dudnitz, a pageant girl, communication specialist, and all-around artsy-fartsy kid, and I am so happy that you're here. Before we dive into it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your screen right now and share it on your Instagram story, tagging us at Amplify the Arts so that we can thank you and keep in touch with you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Amplify the Arts. Um, I want to start by saying this is probably the most embarrassing podcast I've ever had to record, not because of anything that I say or not because of anything that uh, we will reveal, but little little context, little background. Uh, this is actually the third podcast I've recorded with Shelby. This will be, fingers crossed, Lord willing, the first one that I post because the other two just mysteriously vanished. And by mysteriously vanished, I mean I'm an idiot who accidentally deleted them somehow. That The only two times this has ever happened in my podcasting career, both of them were with Shelby, and I feel terrible. But, you know, that's life, and we roll with the punches. And Shelby, you are so gracious and kind to me and being willing to do this again. If I were you, I'd be like, no, I'm done with you. This is stupid. But thank you for being here. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm, I still get all excited. But like I said a second ago before we got on, I was like, I don't remember what I said last time. We talked a lot. Um, yeah. This, this yeah, this will just be like a smoothed out, right? Like we got all the jitters out the first time and this one yeah, will exactly. be even better. Right. That's I, I like that. Um, <laughs> so uh, just for everyone to know, I met Shelby – so 2017? See, we should know this from last time, but I don't remember. It was 2017, 2017. November 2017. Yes, when I won my first Miss title in the Miss America organization as Miss Greater Kalamazoo. And Shelby, you were the outgoing queen, so you were able to crown me. And that was, it feels like a lifetime ago, but also like yesterday. No, it, it was a lifetime ago. Like <laughs> so I, much I was has looking changed. back at those pictures when you tagged me, and I was like, oh my gosh. We're little we babies. Look like babies. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. And obviously a lot has happened in my life since then. And a lot is happening in your life since then. And a lot of that we'll talk about, but, uh, well, just we so also crazy. learned how to do our hair and makeup better every year. Yes, I'll just say that. Absolutely. <laughs> I back and I was like, Lord child, why did you, what like was that? I thinking? Who let me go on stage? How did I win a title? Look, I don't even know, but um, no, I've looked at some of those pictures of me and I'm like, Oh, well, it's a good thing you have a good heart, Shelby, because your hair does not look good. That your hair was not doing you justice that day. Oh man, I I know that feeling. I look back and I'm like, well, I won because of my talent, I guess, and not because I looked good. But um, all that aside, Shelby, you do so many things. You do them all so well. You wear so many hats. Uh, you are one of the most generous and talented and driven people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and I just think you're the coolest. So I just want to start with that, but I would love to have you talk a little bit more about yourself and all of the things that you do. Well, first of all, I just want to brag on Sarah because oh she's God. giving me all this hype, but she's incredible. I mean, just to see you and how much you've grown. And I mean this coming from someone who's, you know, basically the same age. It's not like I'm <laughs> like watching you as an older person, but being there, like what we were talking about when we were just little babies and watching each other grow and go through this process and 
it's just so cool to see what everyone's doing and how Miss America in particular has helped shape us into the young women we want to be. Um, and all the incredible things that we're doing as women, like just across all of the girls competing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a podcast with Brooklyn yes. who also competes for those who are listening and that's just so cool that so many of us have podcasts and Hannah Palmer just started her own nonprofit. Um, and I was able to help her with that a little bit, just giving her my attorney. She did all the other work, but, uh, it was really cool to hear her process. And then, you know, to hear you go from the tragic moment with your dad when he had his accident, which I was with you when that happened, like we were at a pageant. Yeah. That day. Oh, that's crazy. You got the call and you went to the emergency room And then you turned that into a mission and then now you're doing the podcast and speaking to people who are impacted by the arts. And I know we said in the last like time or two, we've done this, the (laughs) arts come in so many forms, not just like actual physical pieces of music or singing, you know, it's dancing, it's writing, it's poetry, it's um, even engineering, like, you know, putting things together. Everything is an art form that people have creative control over. Um, this podcast is an art form. So I think it's, it's just really cool to look at what all of us strong women are doing and how the arts have, um, impacted us all throughout it. I mean, I can tell you, I would not be where I am now without the gift of art Absolutely. <laughs> at all. Yeah. So what are you doing now? You're so sweet talking about like other people and all this stuff, but what, do, what are you doing, Shelby? What did you do? Oh gosh. Um, well, art started for me and just like going way back in elementary school. I know it's so cliche. Cause I feel like when I used to watch American Idol back when it was still good and I thought it was a real show and no offense to, uh, ABC or wherever it's on now, but uh, <laughs> after I've auditioned a few times and heard a few things, I can tell you, I've actually even seen TikToks of people exposing American Idol who got on the show. So anyway, that's a whole nother story. But back when I thought it was wholesome and I loved it, I would watch it and you'd always see people go, I've been doing music for as long as I could talk, as long as I could walk. And it seems cliche, but when you're in it, you're like, I actually don't remember a time that I wasn't listening to music or dancing or singing to music. Maybe not well, I can't dance, but you know, just enjoying music and all that it brings in our life. And so I loved it from an early age. I always sang in like children's choirs at school never had a solo until like late elementary school. Now I had this mindset that I could write music, but I couldn't play an instrument at this point. So it was basically just poetry that I would put to music in my head, but I wouldn't tell anyone because I just felt silly because I didn't have a piece of instrument like to play, to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. So I entered a poetry contest in fourth or fifth grade. And it was a poem I had written about my grandfather who, I think that was the year we lost him to cancer and he was a veteran. And so I wrote this poem just wanting to see what would happen with this children's poetry book. And they do it every single year. You can apply. I think they take a handful of like maybe a couple hundred and out of the few hundred that got in the, the book, mine made the top 10. And so the top 10 each got their own page with their poem. And then I got a $50 gift certificate, which when you're, yeah, you, know, you did. That's you know, awesome. Yeah. That's like, the coolest wow, thing ever when you're a kid. I'm rich. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that just kind of like put it into full motion for me that I loved 
telling stories, even though I didn't know how to do it through my own music at that point. And then things really took a turn when I turned 13 and uh, Taylor Swift was in her baby years, like very early on. And I wanted to turn my poems into songs, but I couldn't play an instrument. So I was gifted with a pawn shop guitar from my Nana. And she said, once you can prove that you can play this, we will talk about getting you a nicer one. But um, this is what you're going to start with. And I kept telling myself, I was like, Taylor Swift said she taught herself how to play guitar. And I just turned 13. She started playing at 13. Like, I can, I can do it too. So that was my, like, Taylor Swift was literally the reason I started playing guitar. I'd sit in my room from sixth grade till eighth grade. I don't know. How old are you in sixth grade? Maybe it was like seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember. But all middle school, I'd sit in my room with my guitar and play literally until my hands bled because my guitar was so old that uh, <laughs> the strings were so high up from the fret that it literally bruised my fingers playing it. So (laughs) I would just sit there and teach myself to play songs that had two chords and then three chords and then four chords. And then it was teaching myself to strum while I sang, which is literally the equivalent of like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Right. But like (laughs) times a (laughs) hundred. Oh, it was, it was really hard at first. And, uh, it's just one of those things where I never thought it was work because I loved it so much. And it got to the point where my parents would tell me, you need to go outside. You've been playing your guitar all day long. This is back in middle school and I still had free time. So I would go, okay, and I'd take my guitar outside. Right? I'm like, God, if I would have ever tried to learn guitar at any other age in life, it would not have gone as well. Mm -hmm. But in middle school, yes, I would take my guitar outside and I was like, all right, I'm going to just sit on the sidewalk and keep playing my guitar. And then I just started writing music all the time after that. And um, I'll tell you what, I keep all the old songs, like the old MP3 files, the old song sheets, and wow, uh, we've come a long way. We have come a long way. <laughs> I love that, though. I can picture now, like, one day in the, like, the documentary about your life, oh, gosh. they'll, like, go back and use those. I can see it. It's going to be great. Uh, no, there was some, there were some songs that I'm like, why did I write that? Like, that is just so <laughs> But then there were some where I was like, oh, I had, so I joke, (laughs) I joke with my mom and she gets mad. I I think I would have had like a more more, uh, (laughs) punk phase than I did. Like I really liked that like grunginess. And Mm -hmm. when I started dressing in like black and painting my nails black, my mom was like, Shelby, you are not a goth. You're not going to wear it. Like she got, she put a stop to that. But like in my heart, I still had some angst built up. So I wrote a song, oh God, uh, maybe I was 14 at this point, like end of middle school. My first ever guy I had a crush on, like broke my heart. He was my first quote unquote boyfriend, first like kiss, um, only for like a month. It wasn't anything serious, but I just right. was obsessed with him. And so I wrote this song called Liar Liar. And have you ever heard the song, um, it's so underrated. It's like 15 years old at this point. Jason and the Long Lost Road to Love, I Pray for You. It was a country song like back in like 2008. And he's oh, saying, I, I pray your brakes go out when you're driving down a hill. <gasps> I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and like knocks <laughs> you on the head. Was it's your so song funny. something like that? Oh, it was like very similar to that. <laughs> like I was basically like, I hope you get like hit by a car. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> It was a joke, but... <laughs> right, right. I, Just something to, like, channel all of the teenage angst. 
into. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was, love that. It was kind of inspired by that song, but I was like, ha. Ah. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, this song is mean. Like, what the heck? Good thing that never know. like was published or went anywhere. Let's <laughs> we'll just keep that private. <laughs> That's so funny. So your entire life, the arts have been like a very healing thing for your heart in like the highs and the lows. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about how that played in, well, just the whole story of um, Huntington's disease in your life and what it is and how it's affected you and your family? Yeah. So (laughs) I, every time I tell this, I think I get more condensed and then I listen back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Shelby, shut up. Like, (laughs) I'll be like, that was like a sermon. Give us all the details. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I actually was going back in my head and realized that it's been six years since the first diagnosis in my family, Wow, which is insane because six, it was around the time I graduated high school and I didn't know about it. I, in 2015, I had no idea what Huntington's was. Like I never heard of it before. My grandpa was overcoming uh, cancer. So I thought it was like something that people who were older and overcoming cancer got. It sounds so bad, but I had no idea what it was. And so to think it's been six years already, but basically it's a neurological genetic disorder that is the equivalent of having ALS, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's all at once. It's neurological, so your brain cells are breaking down over a period of time. And depending on your gene progression, some people experience those symptoms a lot faster than others. So it's, it's just crazy um, that something like this blossomed out of nowhere in my family. But once my grandfather was diagnosed, we realized that my dad was at risk. And then if my dad had it, then it was a domino effect. It meant that the rest of his biological, well, I should say all his kids are biological, but um, my siblings, I have a blended family. So <laughs> I have five, but the ones that were at risk or were diagnosed were four of us, including myself. And so all of a sudden your life just kind of takes a 180 because you go, oh my goodness, like it's not only just affecting, I mean, we had dealt with cancer in the family and things like that. And it emotionally takes a hit on everyone. But to now know that there was something that would emotionally take a hit on us, but um, there was also a chance that it could genetically take a hit on multiple of us. Like that's, that's a whole nother level of terrifying. So my dad only got tested because my sister Brie was 11 at the time and she was super ill. Um, she'd been misdiagnosed like four times before we finally found out she had juvenile Huntington's, which is the children's onset. And when you're talking about progression, they experience progression like two to three times faster than the typical adult would. So on average, an adult who starts showing decline will have, you know, 15 years, but a child, it's like half of that or a third of that. And that's basically what we experienced with Brianna. Once we found out that that's what she had, it took her becoming so ill that my dad finally got over his fear because obviously no one wants to go in and get tested and potentially find out that their life is forever changed, but we couldn't legally get Brianna tested because there's a whole legal system behind the testing process. They want to make sure that a, if you're a child, you're not being forced into it because believe it or not, as sick as it is, there are family dynamics where they have forced their children to get tested through like black market methods. It sounds really crazy, but basically they take them to like 
an unidentified party and they would draw their blood and just give them the result over the phone and like never tell them all these things that medically are illegal, <laughs> but yeah. they would just do. So I'd go to support groups and I'd hear people telling these horror stories of like, yeah, my mom had Huntington's and she started losing her mind and forced me to get tested and blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like I'd, I'm very grateful. That's not my circumstance, but Brianna had to have that family lineage to get her test done because she was only 11. So she went in, got tested, and I was now a sophomore. I was going to school for my first two years at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. I was there for two years, and it's it's really sad because I should have had a lot more fun down there. I mean, I was just so depressed because in t- the moment I walked into my dorm, sophomore year, my mom, my stepdad, and um, a couple of my siblings had just left. And then my biological dad, who has HD, called me and said, um, we just got Brianna's test results back. She has juvenile Huntington's and her CAG, which is basically the gene repeat that tells you whether or not you have Huntington's. We all have it, but someone who has a normal repeat, like my mom, her CAG repeat on her DNA is 16. That's super normal. Brianna's is 88 (laughs) or was 88. So it just goes to show you that there's obviously a defect in the gene and how it pronounces itself. So I hung up the phone and I went into probably the worst year following 2020. (laughs) Um, But 2017 was definitely like my number one worst year. And then I'd say 2020 was the second. I got into a super dark place mentally I um, actually had started the testing process that same summer and never finished it because my mom basically begged me, please don't do this because it's a long, like six week process. You have to go to therapy multiple times. You go to a neurologist, you go to a genetic counselor. Like it's a very long, intensive process because they want to, first of all, like look at your family history, but second, there is a very high mental health decline and suicide rate for those people who do go through the testing process and end up with a positive diagnosis. So they want to just really make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. And then the blood draw itself takes a few weeks to go to the lab and come back. So she didn't want me to get all this news and then pack me up and ship me down to Belmont and go, okay, good luck. Like (laughs) have fun handling all these emotions. Um, But basically that happened anyway, because I, I knew as soon as I got the call that my dad had it, I wanted to get tested, never hesitated. Most people to this day who are at risk still go, how did you decide in a millisecond that you wanted to get tested and never turn back? And um, I kept saying it was a gut feeling, but now that I'm reflecting, I tell people it was God like telling me and indirectly you, you need to get tested. And still to this day, I can't really explain it. It's just one of those things where he was putting me on a path and I had to just follow it, even though I didn't realize it was him who was doing it. So I went back. I had all of the testing done except for the blood draw, which I was going to do nine months later when the sum, like the whole school year was over and summer was back. And those nine months, I was so depressed. I barely left my room. I would go to class, but I would just do my homework, do the minimum, and just do that all again. Um, I was in a relationship that was falling apart. I was depressed about Huntington's and not only my family having it, but then I was at risk. And I think a big reason why I wanted to get tested was because for me, I put more things in my head 
that shouldn't have been there. And weirdly enough, now that I know I have it, I don't put those in my mind like I did when I was at risk. So I would forget my glasses, walk in a room and forget what I was doing, lose my phone, lose my car keys. And my dad used to do all that. I'm used to make fun of him, but now it's to the point where it's like he does it and he can't remember because of HD. That's like the Alzheimer part of it. And uh, so I just broke down in my bathroom, my, my suite that I was sharing, and I bawled. I just cried because I was like, I know I have it. And my roommate at the time, uh, you know, God, God probably did this on purpose. She also had a very rare disease that she had just been diagnosed with halfway through our sophomore year. Even more rare than HD, like it's super, super rare. And I was confiding in her because I kept telling her, I, I know I have it, but I don't know why I know I have it. And she'd obviously try to be a good friend and talk me down and go, no, you don't have it. Like you have no proof. You have no symptoms. And I, I said, I just know I have it. Like I know when I walk in that room, that's what the paper's going to say. So flash forward to May, I was supposed to come at the end of the month when I got home, like a few weeks after school had finished to get my results. And I, at the time I was finishing my last shift at my um, job at Belmont. I worked at the Grand Ole Opry the shows that they had, which people, it probably feels old now, but people listening, Grand Ole Opry is like the place for country music, like classic country music. And they, it's a membership organization. So they invite people to become members of the Opry, big country music stars. So I was working in like this dream place, but it was only retail. So um, <laughs> it wasn't Not that fun. bad. No, <laughs> I had to deal with all the angry fans who, um, had to follow rules that I'd tell them to follow. But anyway, so I broke down like 11 o'clock at night, which would have been midnight in Michigan, called her, left her a voicemail and just said, can you get me in when I come home like the same week? Because I can't deal with this anymore. And she said, when do you come home? And she got me in the day after. So I pulled an all nighter, drove home, went to bed and then woke up and went to get my results with my mom. And sure enough, when I walked in, the genetic counselor puts on the piece of paper and I saw that my number said 49. Anything above a 36 is HD and basically just means at some point you will show symptoms and mine said 49. So I knew that that was, that was higher. And I went completely, even though I, I knew I went completely numb, I went completely blank for about six months. And then I cried. My mom cried right away, but like, I just felt like life paused for six months until I finally had digested it, stopped repressing it and let out the emotions. And once I had done that, I said, okay, you know, it's okay to be a victim when it first happens, but you can't live your entire life as a victim. So like, how are we going to, how are we going to move forward with this? And that was my whole mentality with getting tested was for me, it was ripping off the bandaid. Like, let's do it. If you don't have it good, you can fight for the people who do. But if you do have it, like what's having a family, having children look like, what is having a relationship in the future look like? So I was just coming out of one and we didn't know about Huntington's during our relationship. So that's going to change the dynamic of any future relationship. Like what does your future look like? Because a lot of people go in, they get tested and then they see it as a death sentence. So they don't do anything after like they say, Oh, I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to go move out of state. I'm not going to pursue that quote unquote crazy dream of mine because I have HD. So like my life's over. 
which is not true. And for me, it made me want to do that much more because even though we're all on a clock, like no one gets to defeat death at some point, we're all going to go. But I kind of felt like once I got this diagnosis, my clock was cut in like half, (laughs) if not more, like that's just how my mind saw it. So I went, okay, like what's, what's next? So I, first thing I did was I started going to HD support groups, HD, um, HD conferences, and I was invited to start speaking, to start performing. So I would sing. And that was really therapeutic for me because I just wanted to be involved right away. And I would share my story and I would get done and I would sing a song, which I had written right before I found out about Huntington's when I was in Nashville with one of my friends, Jessica Kelly Adams. And we both love the Rocky movies which again, I feel like I'm, uh, I can't say dating myself because I'm not old, but most people are either like love Rocky or they're like, who is Rocky? Um, (laughs) So the Rocky movies and my mom got me really into those movies in high school. And I just feel like you watch Rocky go through all of these trials and adversity, but he keeps getting up. He keeps fighting and he doesn't win his first fight, but he goes back and he keeps fighting and eventually he's a champion. Like, and he came from nothing. And even Sylvester Stallone who wrote and played Rocky, he got rejected so many times. People told him it wasn't going to go anywhere. Some people wanted to take the, the script, but they didn't want him to be Rocky. And he said like, no way that's not happening. So I just really like resonated with his story, both on and off screen. So we wrote this song called Champion because at that point in life, I felt like everything was hunky-dory. And I said, let's write a song that when people get done, they go, wow, I can take on whatever comes my way. So we wrote Champion and I recorded it on my second studio EP. I started singing it at HD events and they latched onto it and they said, wow, like this, this kind of feels like it resonates with our life and what we're going through with HD So I took that to Miss America, and as you know, um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, we have to have platforms, which are now called social impact initiatives, way much more of a tongue twister, Um, but they're basically a cause that each girl champions and is a spokeswoman for, hopefully before, during, and after her service, but when she's holding a title, that's what she dedicates her, her service to. And I had gone through many different platforms, but once Huntington's came into my life, I said, okay, like this is something I want to talk about. So I started competing again. It was my second year in the Miss program. And the year I won Miss Greater Kalamazoo was the first year I had um, talked about Huntington's. Mm -hmm. And at this point I was still at risk. I had flown home from Belmont, did Miss GK and went back. And I started just really noticing that I was more comfortable opening up with it as I continued to go on with being in the HD community and Miss America. And then obviously every time I sang at a bar, if I sang champion, I would give my, you know, elevator pitch of HD in like 60 seconds and go, here's my song. And so I had someone approach me when I was singing at a bar the bar owner who is now <laughs> our vice president of our board. Yeah, we we haven't even <laughs> mentioned that you started a nonprofit in the midst of all this. Like that has we haven't even brought that up yet. <laughs> so feel free to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so he came up to me. I I still never forget because he came up to me, Dan, Dan Balak. He owns the bar that I was singing at. And he said, 
I think you should start a nonprofit. This was, I think, Christmas. It was like December of 2017. And I went, why? I literally was like, why would I do that? Like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you just talk about Huntington's and Miss America and your music and with the HD events you do. So you could have one for Huntington's, but you would get to have a board. You could allocate all the money and resources to however you see fit or the board agrees on. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, I have an attorney and I will pay for it. So I couldn't really say no. I was like, well, I mean, if you believe in me that much, I guess I should believe in myself as much as you do. So I went to his attorney, who's now my attorney. We set up Champions for HD in April of 2018. So we're almost on our three-year anniversary, which is absolutely insane. And from there on, I just started rolling into the nonprofit, which was also inspired by Champion and Rocky Balboa. So Champions for HD was the only fitting name I could see. And we aid families who are suffering with HD and help pay for medical bills, um, legal bills, just bills in general, because when you're fighting a disability like HD, you lose your job at some points. My dad and many other people's went over two years before the government would approve them for disability. And we also donate to local HD research that's going on here in Michigan and in South Dakota. And now in almost year three, it's over $25,000, over 50 families. And Yay. we have seven board members and Sarah is one of them. Yeah, uh, She is our marketing director. And it's, it's been the most therapeutic thing I could have done, but I didn't even think about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you get messages from people telling you that like your organization, your board is the reason that we got to keep our lights on because I was going to have to choose between feeding my family or paying a medical bill, or I had to choose between paying our utilities or paying for um, my daughter with JHD to get a feeding tube. Like these stories that just break your heart. And even when I think sometimes I have it bad, I'm like, okay, I've never gotten to the point where I thought I wasn't going to be able to feed my family or keep my lights on. So in January of last year, a whole year ago, um, I, I, I took, I used to do YouTube all the time in middle school, uh, high school, and a little bit in college, but music. Like I would do covers. I'd put my original songs on there and it made me so happy to just like put it out there. If I got 50 views, I was the happiest person in the world. Like I was like, wow, someone wants to watch. And once HD came into my life, I just went radio silent because I was like just trying to process all the emotions. And I was like, I can't keep recording without telling people what's going on in my life. Cause I feel like this is too much of like something that's impacted my family and I, and I want to tell people online, like, Hey, this is what I'm going through. And this is why I've not been posting at, at the time. It was like 300 people on my YouTube, but still. Um, so I was silent for like three or four years and I kept trying to sit down in front of the camera. And every time I'd go to talk about it, even though I was talking about it in the nonprofit and Miss America. And when I was out in public, when I was sitting by myself, I couldn't like get myself to wrap my emotions around what was going on especially with my sister being sick. And, you know, by the time I came home, because I forgot to mention, I did come home from Belmont. Uh, financially, I couldn't afford it with my dad being on disability. And also mentally, my sister, Brianna with Juvenile Huntington started to decline that same year I was diagnosed. So from 
my diagnosis in May until December in 2017, she lost her ability to walk, talk, and eat all in like six months. She was in the hospital nonstop. And I knew if I moved home, my local university was right down the road from the hospital she was always at. So I would go in between classes. And no, I did not, <laughs> I did not like going to uh, Western. It did its purpose, but that was not where I saw myself, but it was where I needed to be for the last two years. And so when things started getting really hard, I just didn't know how to process that on my own. So January was the uh, year that I, or January 2020 was the, the year I finally sat down, filmed it. And it now, a year later, has um, almost 20,000 views. And so that was like the first time I was just putting it out there in a way that was permanent. Like, I'd, And it was really raw. Like the fact that my dad and his Huntington's would cause physical and verbal altercations. The police were involved most of my childhood. My stepmother is a recovering alcoholic. So the two of them together, like my childhood was very toxic before Huntington's ever came into my life, which is probably why I leaned on music very, very heavily, just because um, that was all that made me feel good. Like that was a, I guess it's better than, you know, <laughs> looking for other types of highs to have music. Mm -hmm. I think I was doing all right. But I went from that and then in the middle of making that video, I got a call that Brianna was put on children's hospice, uh, which isn't a good sign, but she was to the point where her treatment, there's no treatment or cure for HD at this point. It was always just trying to make her more comfortable. And it got to the point where it was choosing to continue like invasive ways of making her comfortable or just making her comfortable without like all the drugs, all the needles, all that. And so by the time April had come around, which for children's hospice, like that's a really quick turnaround. I it, quarantine had just started. Like we were two or three weeks into quarantine at this point. And we got a call saying that she probably wasn't going to make it through the night and she was in the hospital. And all of a sudden my heart just like exploded because I, I hadn't seen her since her birthday in February. She just turned 14 and I was trying to be safe and follow the rules and not be around her because she's very vulnerable. And then all of a sudden I'm going, did I just waste my last time to see her because I was trying to save her from COVID? And bless the hospital, they managed to get an ambulance to bring her home to my stepmom's apartment so that originally it would have just been my stepmom with her if and when she passed because of COVID, you could only have one other person if you were a minor and it had to be your parent. And they brought her home. We had her for five whole nights. They thought it was only going to be one. Um, and I've always had a very complicated relationship with my faith because I've always, I, I never grew up like going to church a lot. Whenever I did go to church, it was just because my dad and my stepmom would force me to. And it kind of felt like it was more to just try and look the part, maybe save their marriage, which wasn't savable. And so I didn't really have good memories going to church, but I did believe in God. I believed in Jesus, but I just kind of felt like, well, I don't know what that looks like for me. Like, I don't know how to have a relationship with God. And so I felt like throughout all these paths in my life, I would feel that connection or like him wanting me to seek him through the music, um, through the nonprofit through just different adversities and circumstances in my life. And when we got 
when we got the call about Brianna, um, and my faith definitely grew like after my own diagnosis, just because I felt like a lot of the purpose behind all of it was, you know, God, but what really cemented it for me was we lost Brie on Easter morning. Mm -hmm. And as a, a Christian, I was like, okay, if I've ever had a God moment, that would be it. Like, and so that that's, I mean, obviously I was a mess the morning that we found her like that, but I just kept thinking, you know, Jesus rose on Easter and so did Brie. And, you know, I guess if she has to go, that's the most beautiful way that she could have. Um, but yeah, we're almost a year into life without her and it's been really hard. Um, grief is a long journey and I have heard from many people who've lost people, including my mom who lost my grandpa when I was super young. Like I remember it, but I wasn't old enough to comprehend what was going on. Uh, she would tell me you'll be fine for months and then 18 months from now you'll fall apart again and then another 18 months will go by and then you'll fall apart again and I kind of heard this from other people who had lost a sibling or had lost a parent and so I don't think it's ever going to like go away or get quote-unquote better I think it's just learning to be at peace with where she's at and knowing that even though like down here on earth, we have to grieve. There's no grieving in heaven. So like, she's completely fine. She's the happiest she's ever been. And that's the only thing that gets me through the really hard times is okay. Like you're hurting, but she's not. So you need to be happy that she's like, she's in a, she's free of a disease and that she's never been free of since the time she was about seven, like over half of her life. So it's been, it's been a, crazy journey and I definitely feel like if I didn't have music in my life because music music is my faith if that makes sense like I always felt very spiritual through listening to music and always felt like music was a form of like God's love because I would get I get goosebumps when I listen to certain songs which apparently is not common not everyone gets goosebumps when they listen to music yeah I think you told me that last time and I was like I thought everybody I thought everybody got goosebumps when they listen to music, but apparently that's not No. I saw an article and it said that I don't remember the percentage of people, but most people don't get goosebumps. I think it's only like a third or something like that. So I that's would always so feel weird. these moments where you're just like, okay, this has to be something bigger. But what does that look like? And so I just feel like through my music I've been able to hopefully help other people, but I've really been able to help myself because gosh, life is really, no matter what you're going through in life, um, everyone has some kind of adversity. And if you don't have some kind of coping mechanism and it doesn't have to be music, music, it could be like I was saying at the beginning, it could be painting, it could be dancing, music, whatever it is. If you don't have something to get you through the dark points of this life on earth you need to find it <laughs> and well I know I, I know you hit on this a little bit and it's something we talked about a little bit last time was um how your song champion sort of became an anthem of the Huntington's disease community which is so cool and it's one of my favorite songs um and I love <laughs> watching you perform it every time I get so hyped um 
but I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and how sometimes songs like give us that space, even though it might be scary to be vulnerable. I know you said you sort of went radio silent for a while and didn't want to talk about um, Huntington's disease or anything. But once you took that step, wrote that song and sort of opened yourself up to the community in that way, I feel like the response was really, really beautiful. Yeah, I've actually, it's funny because I haven't released music in a while, but I'm still writing. Probably not as much as I'd want to, like, especially with all all that's been going on. I have written so many songs that are like really vulnerable, really deep. Some are dark, but some are also like really like spiritual and faith-based. But it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, it, when you get that vulnerable, sometimes it's kind of scary to put it out there because it's basically like opening up your diary to anyone who wants to come and consume it in this, in the form of a song. (laughs) And I, yeah, it's, it's been hard. I I want to like uh, not to give too much away. It's not even a work in progress at this point, but I have a whole album concept like in mind for when I do go back to the studio and what I'm going to call it, like what kind of songs I'm going to put on it. But I just have to get those songs to a place where I can get in the studio and sing them and get through the whole song and also get them to a place where my thoughts are connecting, like what I'm writing down in that moment connects with people and their understanding. Cause I'm in, I'm in a Nashville songwriting uh, artist development group that meets once a week virtually. And then, we did have some in-person events. It's been kind of hard with COVID, but you know, typically they have like performance weekend critiques in Nashville. And we had a songwriter's critique weekend one time last year and we wrote like five songs in a day. And um, so I've been slowly but surely in these weekly meetings, like putting out my song for songwriters evaluations. And it is the most terrifying thing because they're so supportive, but you have like dozens of other artists who are in this group listening to your song and it's just typically a demo of you, you know, sitting on the floor playing it on your phone and then you send it in. But then the two people who run it are like in the industry really deep within it. So then they're saying, wow, I really liked this. But like, what are you trying to say here? Like, why is this so dark? Like, what kind of emotion are you trying to express here? So I think I've got like good foundation for an album, but there's some things that I'm having a disconnect as far as like what I was feeling when I wrote it and how it's being perceived when other people hear it. Um, which sometimes it's kind of good to leave things to the imagination, but not if I'm trying to make it very apparent. So it's been really hard. I'll sit there and even though I'm proud of it, I'm shaking. I'm like waiting to hear what they say. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like that's, (laughs) yeah, I I wrote it about this and blah, blah, blah. And like, I know that's really dark, but that's how I felt when I wrote that. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) So, um, Oh, what were we talking about? Oh, I think, um, last time you told a story um, about something that someone came up and said to you after a performance. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> um, I'm glad you remember. I think you, oh, did you like open up for somebody? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you remembering the story? Because I'm vaguely but I know it was so good and I want you to share it again oh yeah I think it's um so back in what year would it have been 2018 I opened up for Montgomery Gentry which is a country act 
And um, this was the first performance after one of the two of the duo had gotten a tragic accident. So it was like a really big comeback performance and it was in my hometown. So I got asked to be the opening act and I played solo. So it was just myself and my electric guitar. Um, And I sang some covers, but also some originals. And I ended with champion. And I always try to, and you have to kind of feel out the crowd. Like if it's a bar where no one's listening, you can't really tell that many stories. But sometimes when you're in a setting like this or other bars that are more, uh, you know, receptive of what you're saying, you can tell stories. So I told my elevator pitch about Huntington's and played champion. And then afterwards I went backstage and I was walking out to the front to go be with my family and watch the rest of the show. And this guy walked down and he's, and this actually happens more than you would think because HD is super rare. So the fact that I would say like every couple times that I would go out and play when I was still playing consistently before a pandemic, someone would come out and say either their family was affected or they had like a friend, a neighbor, someone they knew, which is really great. Cause it, I mean, it's not great. People have HD, but it's great that more people are aware of it. So this guy came and said, I can't believe you just stood on stage and talked about it because in my family, it's like a hidden secret. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed of it. I haven't been tested yet, but, um, you know, my dad doesn't let me talk about it. My aunts, my grandparents, like none of us talk about it. And so for me to see you on stage and just talk about it so openly, like that's, that's just really, uh, empowering. And I, I do have to say like in the grand scheme of things, I am fortunate that my immediate family is open about it, even though it's been a messy situation with our family dynamic, it's been nice that no one's keeping it a secret. So because with HD, you can't really talk openly about it if half of your family is denying it or not getting tested because then it's, it's just, it's so messy. It's the domino effect because of the aspect. It's not like, you know, if someone has it and it's not putting other people at risk. So anyway, I know it can get really messy, but yeah, I was really eye-opening when he came and said that because I was just expecting to inform everyone about my song. And then this guy comes down and says, wait. So yeah, that was an awesome moment. Have you had any other really touching responses, whether it's to champion or to any of the other songs you've written? I think last time we talked about, I'm pretty sure we did. (laughs) Isn't it so funny? Like, as we're having this conversation, I'm like remembering the other things we talked about. And I also thought it was funny. Like you, you know, I have my list here of little questions that I ask you, but for the most part, I didn't even have to ask them for most of this episode. Cause like, I swear it was muscle memory for you. You're like, oh yeah, this is what we talked about last time. So we're doing okay. Look at my, look at my brain doing good work. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So well, the other one that comes to mind, because I, we, I talked about this with Miss Michigan. I, I wrote a song when I was 15 and it was, I had seen like a similar type of poem online about, you know, girls and their insecurities. And so I was like, wow, like that would make a great song. So I started thinking of things that not just women, obviously men go through body dysmorphia and depression and things like that too. But statistically it impacts women at a much higher rate and that's probably for a lot of different reasons and now there's social media which makes it even worse but (laughs) back then Instagram was just starting so I hadn't even had you know issues from that yet but I sat on my bedroom floor and wrote a song called Mirror Mirror and it's just about a girl who's looking in the mirror and at the beginning of it she hates everything 
she reveals that she has an eating disorder, that she is harming herself, that like she's literally getting all of her quote unquote worth from what she sees from other people and how they perceive her. And by the end of the song, you know, the chorus is talking about you are beautiful. Like you're more than what you see in the mirror. Like it's about what's inside of you. And by the end of the song, she's like, wow, like, why can't you see what you're doing to me? Like both to her, but also to the mirror. Cause every time she looks in it, she's ashamed. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those songs where uh, it, it's timeless. Like when I still listen to it now, I'm like, wow, like I still need this at 24 and I wrote this at 15. Um, yeah, you know. will, what's crazy, <laughs> what's crazy to me. So my experience with that song is uh, we were at Miss Michigan. It was Miss Michigan week and we have a few luncheons during the week and I, we must've been meeting with like the Rotary Club or you know, it's like a group. It's yeah. always a group of like old professional men, which is fine. But then, you know, you sit and you have lunch and it's very, it's very professional. It's very, you know, you make your small talk and, and sort of that's that. But they always pick a few of the Miss Michigan contestants to either speak about their platform or their social impact initiative and perform. And so you got up and performed and I'm sitting there thinking it's just gonna, you know, great. I love watching Shelby perform. And before you know it, you're singing mirror, mirror. And I'm like, crying at this luncheon in my business casual attire (laughs) and I'm like tears going down my face and I'm like oh my gosh and I just think that speaks so much to the power of music because I think I had that moment of like oh my gosh I'm not the only one who's struggled with not liking my body I like suddenly feel so seen and so validated and so like we're all in that together as women and of course yeah but um I just think there's so much power in realizing that we really are all in this together and that no one is alone. So, oh, yeah. Well, now I'm remembering. So I don't remember. You must have asked this at the end. So I'm sorry if I'm taking away your questions, but I remember we did, I did say something about Taylor Swift because I've already said something about Taylor Swift. She's great. I don't know. We can talk about her all day. That would be fun. (laughs) But that's why she has so many fans that just resonate with her because when you can write a song about yourself or maybe you know her last two albums technically were supposedly not about herself they're you know folk songs but anyway I digress you can write a song that is either about your life or about a character a fictional person's life and the fact that so many people can put themselves in that place and resonate with it or you're just that good of a songwriter that if they've never been through it they're sitting here crying or getting you feel like you're in it and yeah. yes, and that's why everyone loves Taylor Swift because you feel like every single album is a diary and you're like, wow, I had that guy I dated too. Or wow, I had this best friend who also did this. And, you know, I always say that's like, I always say that Taylor Swift is narrating my life, which is of course not true, right? She's not writing about my life, but she's just that good at what she does that it feels like she's writing about my life. Yes. Oh yeah. And I, that's why I just, I freaking love her music and my two favorite songs of hers are like the most depressing, but they're so good. So I, I will just say the best Taylor Swift song in my opinion is all too well. Like oh, yes. that one. Gosh. And then champagne problems is oh, like yes. a close second. Cause Oh my God. I, when I listened to that album, like, first of all, it was a surprise. So we're all like, wow, this is yeah, great. Yeah. Hits me, and I kid you not, I could feel tears coming down my face, and I'm like, "Who 
are you? Why are you like, doing this? Physically, I felt the pain in my chest. And I was like, how does she make me feel that way? It's insane. Oh, it's crazy. Anyway. I saw these TikToks and they were, sorry, this is so random, but someone made a TikTok and they were like, this is for everyone who has listened to folklore. This is before Evermore. And they said, um, this is what you need based off of what song was your favorite on the album. So they get to champagne problems and they're like, and I, I have to make jokes about like trauma because sometimes that's the only way I'd like get by. Mm-hmm. And they're like, if champagne problems is your favorite, you've had a lot of relationship issues and you need therapy. And I was like, well, oh, they're not yeah. wrong. I've been in therapy for like, you know, 18 years. So yeah. Yes. Where's the lie? You're right you know? on spot. Like, good job. <laughs> good job. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. We could definitely talk about Taylor Swift. That could be like a whole, <laughs> maybe I'll have her on as a guest. I'm sure she's not busy. <gasps> Taylor, yeah. are you listening? No, Taylor, are you there? Um, anyway, so my, my three little wrap up questions, which hopefully you don't remember from last time. Hopefully it is a surprise <laughs> once again. Um, first, do you want to share a moment in your life that you feel like you were really, truly, deeply happy? Like everything just clicked and you're like, this makes sense. This is why I'm here. That sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't think I told this one last time, but one of the happiest memories I will ever have was the very first time I ever sang by myself was sixth grade. Um, It was our middle school talent show and I had like been a closeted singer Like I knew I liked it, but I didn't, I didn't know if I was any good. Like I just knew I liked it. So I didn't tell anyone. I, like I said, I was in choirs in elementary school, but in middle school they had a talent show and I was like, you know what, I'm going to audition. And so I auditioned with what was the hottest at the time, the climb by Miley Cyrus. Yes, that's still my go-to karaoke (laughs) song. So I don't know what you mean by hottest at the time, because I think that it's the hottest now. It's like, it's going to be something that's like written and printed on my brain forever because oh, for sure. those, those song lyrics, like, man, life's a climb, but the view's great. Like you can't argue with yeah. that. So I uh, auditioned and one of the, the main ladies who ran it was a school. She was the president of the school board. She used to do it for many years and still very close with her now, but she was like, Oh my goodness. Like you've got an amazing voice. And so she put me at the very end and my mom could not come to the show because she was a teacher at the time. Now she's a uh, vice principal, but she was still teaching at that point. And my stepdad came because um, his job allowed him to have time off. So um, that same day, my sister Delaney, who's four years younger than me, so she was in elementary school. She had a talent show and I had a talent show back to back. So my stepdad, Brian, literally was like at Cooper, the elementary watching Laney knew he had like 10 minutes to get over to the high school. So he's hauling like speeding and got pulled over on the way to watch me. What? And he told the police officer, he was like, both my daughters are in talent shows at different schools and I'm trying to be a good dad. So he literally was like, Oh, like, it's fine. Go watch her. Like go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's like out of a movie. So, I love that. No, it really was. And so we, he gets there. And again, this is what middle school. So I'm in six, 11, you're 12. How 12 years ago, 2000 and I can't do math in my head. Yeah. This was the time before smartphones. We did the mm-hmm. iPhone had like mm-hmm. not been dropped yet close, but not quite. So my stepdad had like one of those video cameras where they folded out like the old school ones that, you know, you put your, uh-huh. I don't know how to explain it, but anyway, so he had a true video camera cause my mom couldn't be there. And I was the last one. I get up there. I'm excited, but I'm shaking. I'm in this like really pretty dress. My mom had helped me pick out and these cute little high heels. And I have my hair all curled in. 
I walk up there. No one had ever heard me sing by myself before. And I start singing and you can hear like all the middle school kids. Cause this is, a, it's on my YouTube channel. It's the very first video I ever uploaded. And you can hear everyone kind of going, Shh, and all of a sudden someone goes, Shh, cause I started singing. And then people start doing like the, 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 oh, you have like the hands, hands waving and, and the, oh, yeah. And they're waving and they're like doing this big, I got a standing ovation. And I was like, oh, that was good. Like I did a good job. And You're like, I so I can sing. I was like, wow. And my dad, my stepdad literally brought this video camera home, plugged it into the TV. She still had to do that back then. Um, so yeah, this was back when they were still on, uh, you had to like burn them to like from the cassette to the, yes, like yeah. that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so they're watching it. And this was the day, the same day. And I'm on the couch waiting for my mom to respond. And she's crying and she's wiping off tears. And she's like, I, I didn't know you could sing. Cause she told me when I wanted to audition, my mom is like Simon Cowell for better or for worse. She does not sugarcoat anything. So when I told her I was going to do the talent show in sixth grade, she literally looked at me and she's like, you have to have talent to do a talent show. (gasps) (laughs) That's so funny. And so when she watched this, she cried. And from that point on, she was like, anything you want to do, like, I will help you. I'll support you. So like guitars, anything I wanted to do. She was like, yep, yep, yep. And you know, it's turned into now where I might not be touring internationally or anything, but I play like, you know, three to four times a month at bars and different venues. And she's always my number one fan there, you know, just like. (laughs) That's so funny. It kind of reminds me of, um, the story of the first time that my mom found out I could sing. We went to see Wicked in Chicago and I bought the cast album because I fell in love with it. That was my first musical and brought it home. And my mom would drive me to school every day since she was a teacher. And I would get ready early. I would go out to the car like 20 minutes before my mom was ready to leave. I would play the Wicked soundtrack and I would sing to it, but I would always turn it off immediately when she got in the car. Cause I was like, I just do this for fun. It's something I like to do, whatever. And then two years later, I auditioned for the school musical and she was helping with auditions. Um, and I got up and I sang something. And this is the first time she'd heard me sing solo. And I don't even remember what I sung, but I look over and she's crying. She's like, you didn't tell me you could sing. And then that was that. So that's funny. Kind of a similar story. Shout out to moms though. They're the best. We love our moms. <laughs> the best. I know my mom will be listening to this. So hi mom. Love you. Hi mom. <laughs> moms are the best. Uh, so next question Let's pretend for a beautiful, blissful moment that we wake up tomorrow morning, COVID is just gone, vanished, where to go, we don't know, doesn't matter, and we don't have to wear masks, everything is open, everything is back to normal, where's the first place you go? Um, well, this probably doesn't count because technically they're pretty open right now. <laughs> but my sister goes to school, one of my sisters, my sister Delaney goes to school in Alabama, and um, Alabama is a whole different world down there. So they're kind of just doing their thing. Um, but even though they're open, there's like really no concerts right now. And her and I growing up, we our family didn't go on vacations. Our mom just took Delaney and I to concerts like all the time. Like I used to collect, I still do. It's kind of a problem that I don't have enough room. I collect, I started in eighth grade collecting a concert t-shirt for every concert I went to. I would buy one. So I've got like two tubs 
that are full of concert t-shirts. Like I've probably been to about a hundred at this point. And we are so thirsty to go to a concert. Like I, and I've never been to Alabama. She's almost done with her sophomore year. I've yet to go see her because I, you know, working and everything and COVID. So I would love to just drive down there and go to a concert with her because we were going to do that. We were going to go to Lady Gaga um, and then COVID hit and it got canceled. (laughs) So that's what I was doing. (laughs) I don't blame you. I think, oh man, I cannot wait for that. My coworkers and I were just talking today about concerts and how much we miss them. And I feel like even now, like once concerts start coming back, I feel like there's people that are, yeah, it'll be hard to get tickets and it'll still feel weird. Like, I'm still going to feel like I'm not supposed to be this close to people. I'm not supposed to, you know. And at a concert, you're supposed to be, like, jumping around with everyone you don't know yeah. and just being best friends. Like, we, I don't know you, but we're here for the same reason, so let's let's dance. So that'll be um, an interesting experience, but I am also looking forward to that a lot. Last question. Uh, what are three things that you are grateful for today? I do remember this one. But I don't know <laughs> if I can bring it down to three. Okay, I'm going to say... Um, my music, just music in general, mm-hmm. my family and by family, I mean like extended friends that are also family and God, my faith. Oh, I love that. Good, good <laughs> answers. You. you passed the test. <laughs> I've only done this a couple of times. I don't, I don't even remember what I said except for the last one, to be honest. You know, that's totally okay. It's better. It's fresher that way. We don't remember. Well, Shelby, thank you so much for being here again. I'm literally so embarrassed. I'm going to save this audio file more carefully than I've ever saved an audio file in my life. You should probably just make like three copies, like put one on Google Drive, put one on a hard drive, put one on I your desktop. I should, because my computer's running low on storage. I think that's what got me. <laughs> so. These Max, my goodness. I know. But anyway, thank you so much for being here. Isn't Shelby just the coolest? I'm so obsessed with her. Um, Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Amplify the Arts. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are interested in learning more about Shelby, more about her nonprofit Champions for HD, if you're interested in listening to her music or any of the other million things that she does, I will be putting all of her information in the description. So feel free to check that out. I would highly recommend keeping up with her. I think she's superwoman. So um, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time.